0: Good morning.
1: Good morning. Oh, <laughs> so I'm not used to this at all. <laughs> um, welcome to our service today. Uh, I'm sure some of you have been looking around this morning and wondering, who's going to preach? Well, You'll be relieved to know it's not me. <laughs> uh, I might have attended lectures a long time ago on the merits of building on sand or on stone. Uh, for a foundation, but it was not by a theological lecture. So, James is coming uh, to speak to us this morning. He'll be appearing on your screens, and he will be um, continuing our series of talks from Luke's Gospel and continuing in our series. So, Psalm 122 says... I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. And now we're standing here inside the gates of Jerusalem. It's a wonderful way of coming to our service to appreciate that God has given us so much, and He has bestowed on us so much, and He blesses us so much.
0: Come to bring fire on the earth, be kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five and one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, It's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Here ends the reading.
2: Good morning. With the wonders of technology, I'm still able to be present uh, with you today. As we travel through this Gospel of Luke, it has been a wonderful privilege. Um, to reread these stories, these accounts of Jesus. Uh, many of them have been really, really familiar to us, actually. Uh, we've recounted that. Um, those stories of Mary and Martha, uh, for instance, has been uh, a story, maybe, that we have known and grown up with um, over the years. Um, all those other ones that we looked at um, the teaching of Jesus on prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus sending out the 72, the parable uh, of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Whichever one of those it was, some of those passages have been really, really uh, familiar to us. Uh, And today we join a passage that seems maybe slightly more unfamiliar. A passage that maybe we don't hear preached on an awful lot, but a passage that is given the title Not Peace, But Division. A passage where Jesus says, and he comes not to bring us peace as we believe, but division. And often we see God as the one who is the God of peace, um, the eternal maker of peace. Uh, his peace he leaves with us, his peace he gives to us, not as the world gives to us, but indeed as only he can give to us, as Jesus tells us in John chapter 14. So as we dig into this passage of what does Jesus actually mean whenever he says, not peace, but division, how can we relate that to our lives today? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are present with us, that as we dig deep into your word today, that it will be your word that would speak and not my words, a living, active word that's written, yes, many centuries ago, but by your Spirit is breathed new life into this very moment for us as individuals and as a congregation. Help us in this moment, we pray, in Jesus' name. Actually, as I was trying to think of a word to describe this passage, the word that I came up with was unsettling. Uh, And I found it, in a sense, unsettling for two reasons. Uh, One that uh, begins with this idea that fire is going to fall upon the earth. Uh, And secondly, uh, this idea of division. And both of those are unsettling because we know the destructive nature of fire. Um, It can destroy everything in its path uh, and nothing is safe whenever it comes. We know the destructive nature of division. Uh, we see that in our society, in our culture, especially here in Northern Ireland, but we can see that in family units, in relationship breakdowns, uh, in our own uh, context and in our own space as well. So this idea of destruction uh, by fire, this idea of division, surely these are not things that God does. Well, you see, first 49 today says, I have come to bring fire on the earth And how I wish it were already kindled. Jesus says he's come to bring fire on the earth, and he wishes it had already started. This idea of this fire, as Jesus is speaking about it, is contextually put in the sense that there will be a separation. There will be a winnowing, a refining. We see that image throughout the pages of Scripture, actually. The refiner's fire will come. It will take away the dross and it will leave the pure gold, the pure metal. That's a a description of how um, the Lord will refine his church, his people, uh, those who truly belong to him and those who don't belong to him. We Remember Jesus' words clearly from other places in the gospel where he says on that last day, some of those who call me Lord, Lord will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so a refining will have to take place. But verse 49 is set in the context of verse 50. Because verse 50 says, But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Jesus is working up in this part of the gospel to his death. He is beginning to release that story, that understanding, that information to the disciples and to those who are following him, that he is the Messiah and he has come to die for the sins of the whole world. And Jesus knows that he has to undergo this baptism. He is deeply distressed by it. But the baptism of the crucifixion will release something for the world, the sinless one paying the sins of the world. You see, first 49 and first 50, Scripture never leaves it hanging Scripture never sets itself out of context uh, of itself either. Uh, and verse 49 obviously follows on from the passage that Esther so f- uh, vividly portrayed for us last week. This idea of watchfulness, that there will be a second coming, that Jesus Christ will return again, that he will come and that we as servants need to be ready, just as that passage in Luke 12, 30, 35 and following tells us, that we need to be ready. The servants who are prepared and ready for the master's return are the ones who are on the right track. And so this context of the refiner's fire comes after that warning to be watchful, to be prepared, to be ready for his return. Because the fire will come and it will refine us. It will shape us. It will mold us. And eventually, it will divide us. Other places in the scripture Jesus described this uh, as the sheep and the goats. The sheep being his flock, uh, the ones who know him, who have called him saviour and who are following him. And the goats are the ones who aren't, the ones who kind of are masquerading, if you like, uh, as sheep of the Father. But aren't really true followers. And so this refiner's fire and this division will come whenever Christ returns again. But this division, Jesus says, he comes to bring division and not peace. Um, that we uh, brothers will be set against brothers, sons against fathers, daughters against mothers, and so forth, that families will be split up because of Jesus. Verse 51. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. It's quite clear, actually. There's nothing blurred about that image. But what does it mean? It's not that Jesus comes with a desire to separate families. I don't think that's what that means. Many theologians who are are better placed than me to study the original language also believe that. It's not that Jesus will come simply to divide families and wreak havoc and chaos because that's not what he's about. Remember, in Revelation 21 it says, there will be no more sea, there will be no more chaos. This is about understanding that whenever we follow Jesus, he demands our total loyalty. Everything is placed at his feet. Everything that we do, we think, we say, is placed in the context of us following Jesus. That's our yardstick. That's our measuring stick. That's where our framework goes back to our understanding, our structure for our lives, for our morals, for uh, our context of how we live and what we say. Jesus demands total loyalty. And that may mean that some people don't like it. That some people don't like the fact that you're now wholeheartedly following Jesus, that you're wholeheartedly sold out for him. And because they don't like it, they will try to bring division within it. They'll try to draw you away from him. They'll try to tell you you're on a wild goose chase. They'll try um, to ensure that... uh, in one sense, to say things like the simplistic little sentences sometimes that come at the end of conversations. You think more about your religion than you do about me. You think more about your faith than you do about me. Surely I should be first in your life. But yet we know that because of what Jesus has done for us, this distressed baptism that he's spoken about, his crucifixion, we know that he he demands our total loyalty. And he deserves it. Desires it. And we desire to give it to him. And that's okay. And sometimes relationships are there for a season and will fall away. Yes, we are to try to restore all relationships to the best of our ability. Of course, we have to. But we have to understand that our primary relationship and focus as a believer is between us and our Savior. Because in this watchfulness, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. See, first 54 says, He said to the crowd, Whenever you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, It's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be too hot. And it is. Hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Farming. Agriculture has been the primary Uh, industry throughout the ages uh, for many countries it's a staple uh, of the economy and what Jesus is saying is here is those in agriculture those involved in it uh, you know how to interpret the times you can see uh, the wind coming the sun coming the rain coming and you know what to do with your crops and you can see how good a yield you're going to get because of the weather around you but you cannot interpret the times you cannot see that the messiah has arrived You cannot see that the world is turning its back on God and needs to repent and turn back to him. There is an increasing sense that Jesus is returning. There's an increasing sense that times are changing. As I have conversations with people, believers and non-believers, That is becoming a more dominant topic of conversation. And in these verses, Jesus is saying, You look to the weller, you try to interpret it so that you can have the best yield within your life and within your career. But you will not look at the scriptures and see how to have the best yield in your life. Life and life in all of its fullness. Jesus says, then you're a hypocrite if you do not do that. Not the words of the preacher, the words of the scriptures today. He demands our wholehearted loyalty. Over the last number of weeks, our TV screens um, or newspapers or internet feeds have been uh, filled with this blistering hot weather that we've had um, two to three weeks ago. To the point where fires were beginning um, all over uh, the country, especially in England. Uh, we were watching that uh, on our TV screens, and uh, on the, the hottest day recorded in um, that particular week, I think it was a Monday, uh, I was standing in an aircon uh, place um, in Law's Old Yard uh, in the Moyer Road in Lisbon, because that was the day that my aircon completely decided to pick up. What a day for it. Anyway, whenever I was there, they have this massive screen in their workshop. Like, I'm talking about a 60, 70-inch screen in the workshop. Uh, and the news was on, uh, rolling back, just continuous rolling, BBC News. And I was showing all these fires um, uh, across England. Uh, unbeknown to me, one of the workers and, and another um, customer uh, started having a conversation. Uh, started having a conversation that the apocalypse was coming. That this must be the sign of the end times. Now, I couldn't help but kind of overhear that. Um, give a wee giggle and begin to join in. As I joined in the conversation, um, the conversation was obvious that, that they weren't believers, but that I was. Uh, they actually asked, what do you do? And I said, I'm a minister. Uh, but then they, they started having the conversation, well, well, then we need to be on our knees and repenting. The world is turning against God. Is this one of the signs of what is yet to come? It was an interesting conversation to have in an aircon workshop. A good conversation to have. Because even in these days of uncertain times, these days of changing times, there are opportunities to share our love for our Saviour. The key message from this passage, because we could easily look at the heading and say it's about division, the key message from this passage is to be ready and to be devoted. How do we get ourselves ready? We receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour because of what he done for us on the cross of Calvary. His finished work cleanses my sin and your sin and opens the gates of heaven. We simply need to receive him, repent of our sins and receive him as our Saviour and Lord. Then we're ready. How are we devoted? It's by reading and praying yes is it coming to church to worship yes of course it is is it gathering with other believers to share like minded worship and praise and thanksgivings and to confess together of course it is but it's more than that it's about ensuring that Jesus is the primary relationship in your life and my life the preachers included as he says this that he becomes our primary relationship that we are totally wholeheartedly sold out for him Being wholehearted for Jesus will give us the peace that we so desire. Because being wholehearted for him, everything else begins to fall into place. And we'll see that as we continue to walk through this Gospel of Luke in the coming weeks. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are present with us and that you want to be our friend you've invited us to join your journey, we come today before you with repented, repentant hearts, and we seek that we will be restored before your face. But more than that, we pledge your devotion to you. We want to live a wholehearted life that honours you and gives you the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: So the blessing blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us and remain with us now and at all times. Amen.